Thank you, Lord. For thousands of years, people preach without microphones. And yet here we are saying, Lord, we can't preach without a microphone anymore. So how foolish am I and are we sometimes? Okay, let's restart. Good morning. Uh, Let me say several things before we start. To our youth, you might not know, but under Brad's leadership, they've been going out in uh, inner city downtown Birmingham and serving the homeless. And today they they led them in worship or part of a worship service in Birmingham. So, hey, we're proud of you guys for serving those that are in need. So, Brad, under Brad's leadership, that, that's fantastic. Um, so, continue to serve, continue to see Christ move. Um, secondly, I, I want to share with you again, uh, this green Connect card is not just for those who are new. If you are new, um, please fill this out. We want to be able to pray over you. This week, we're not going to sell your info to Russia. We're not going to send spam your inbox. We simply want to pray for you. If you have a prayer request, put that on this Connect card. If you're a Covenant member, do that. We pray over these regularly. And I want you to know one of the ways that I prepare for this sermon every Sunday is I pray over our church and I pray through these requests on Wednesday just to get my heart right because I want to know how the Word is impacting you. If you need to get baptized, this is a great way for us to follow up. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and want a pastor to connect with you, again, fill this out. You will have um, all sermon, and then at the end, you can put it in the bucket with our ushers as we conclude our service. So let us pray for you this week. That is our gift in Christ to you as a church. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm Josh, by the way, lead pastor here. Um, Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Whether you know it or not, you as a church stand in the legacy of the Christian community and the community of faith for thousands of years of gathering together to hear the word of the Lord. Think about that. In the Old Testament, God's people gathered on the Sabbath to rest and to worship in the New Testament, God's people gathered on the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, Sunday, to gather and to worship. So if that's true, then what we're doing today is a sacred gathering. It's a solemn gathering. God's people gather. So well done. And may we gather in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're continuing a sermon series called Yahweh Saves. Isaiah's name means the Lord Saves And so for the next month or two, we're going to be in Isaiah. This is our third week in Isaiah as we look at chapter 9. And before I read this passage, I want you to think about this with me for a second. What if right now, Seth, right? Wade, I told him I was going to call him out earlier. They're not in trouble, parents. They're not. This is a good, this is good for them. What if God gave you a vision right now? Some of you are thinking, yes, this Baptist preacher is talking about visions. Some of them, some of you are thinking, oh no, this Baptist pastor is talking about visions. What if the Lord gave you a vision and this was the vision, right? Josh, write with pen on a green connect card these words, pillage hastens and looting speeds. That's an odd vision, right? So, so God, you're going to pillage something and, and something's going to be looted and it's going to be quick. And, and in case you forgot the vision, this is what I want you to do. You're going to have a son. And this is what you're going to name him. Pillage hastens 
and looting speeds. Can you imagine going home to your wife and saying, dear, I got a name. We're going to call him pillage and loot. And don't worry though, this is a, this is a vision from God. That's exactly what's happening in Isaiah chapter 8. King Ahaz is reigning and this vision comes to the prophet Isaiah and this is what exactly happens. He's given this vision, he's told to write and he's told to name his son. And the reason this is so is because many in the land are so dejected and so hungry that they need this message, which will ultimately show them that there will be hope one day. But don't miss the fact that this vision from Isaiah would be difficult to relate. Go home, just try. Men, go home and try to convince your wife to rename one of your children that. And then tell the nation, you have so rejected the Lord your God that he is going to bring judgment upon you. And it's going to be quick. And it's going to be hasty. And gloom is going to be such that you would not even imagine. This is the vision 2,700 years ago under Ahaz. And as dark as that might be, I believe some of us are still walking in that darkness today. And let us not... Be ignorant and think that this judgment could not happen to the country we live in. Josh, write this vision because the people have rebelled against me. There is moral decay and your leaders are corrupt. Sound familiar? And, and the people of God have lost their heart for me. So write this vision, Isaiah. This could easily be written in 2019. And as we look at that gloom, the, the light of Christ breaks forth. And Isaiah's answer to the Lord here in, in Isaiah 8 is Isaiah 9. And so what we're going to read today is God saying that my kingdom is radically unexpected. Some of you think that we have God figured out, but you don't. We will never have God figured out. The gospel is unexpected it is full of grace and mercy to us who don't deserve it. And God is still giving grace to people who do not deserve. So don't be surprised when God gives mercy to people who don't deserve. Because we are the chief. This is the unexpected kingdom of God. So let's look at this glorious unexpected kingdom in Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea and the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke. 
and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will have a name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. Let's pray. Father, we so desire the day where this will eternally be true. The day that where all of our darkness, all of our brokenness, all of our sadness will be turned to rejoicing, that our joy will increase, that we will see that the boots of battle will be burned in the fire because the Prince of Peace has come. Lord, we long for that day. But Father, until we wait... We will not wait with idle hands. We will not wait with idle hearts. We will serve you, Lord. So help us strengthen our hands that we would do the work of ministry right now. Lord, may we not hear only, but may we be doers of your word. And may this world see that we are different, that we are unexpectedly different because we serve an unexpected God in an unexpected kingdom. Lord, may we be distinct. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So let's look again at verse one. So this unexpected, like, have you ever been in a place in your life where there's just darkness? That you look around and, and you see darkness in your life. Now, I have, I have an interesting perspective because I'm a pastor. And, and I really, it didn't hit me until recently. I had a friend call me, uh, one of my roommates in college, and he said, um, he said, Josh, I just need you to listen. And I said, that's hard for me to do, but I'll listen. And he was with someone who was in surgery, and during surgery, they found out that she had cancer. And he, he said, Josh, how do you do it? And I said, do what? And then I realized that I've been in the delivery room with people, and I've received a call that someone else has passed away. Then I realized how many dark times I've, I've, I've experienced in my life. And I realized, wow, God, there is a lot of brokenness in this world. And I'm firmly convinced that what the people of God need to do when we see brokenness, we need to weep. But when we see people weeping over cancer and weeping over dementia and weeping over hurt and sadness, we don't need to turn a blind eye. We need to weep and we need to cry out also that there is darkness and gloom in this world. And we need to cry out and say, God, where are you? It has no end. Am I the only one that's experienced that? I mean, we live in dark times, and, and we live, if you're not in a dark time right now, there will be times in your life that you look up and all you can see is darkness. You see, Zebulun and Naphtali were those people. Zebulun and Naphtali were the northernmost parts of Israel. You might be thinking, well, what does this even matter? So when Israel would have been attacked by other neighboring countries, Rome, later on Rome, and Assyria, and Babylon, they attacked from the north. By the way of the sea, from the east of the Galilee, or north of Naphtali and Zebulon. These were the places that received destruction first. They were like the Murphy's Law of the Israelite tribes. 
Right? If something could go wrong, it was going to go wrong to Zebulun and Naphtali first. Anyone else feel like that? Anyone feel like a living Murphy's Law? Like if it's going to break, it's going to be me. That's how I feel like sometimes. If there's going to be a register that stops at the grocery store, it's going to be the one I get into. If there's going to be someone who has this unique clearance item and they have a coupon and, the, and it just won't work, that's my line. You want something to break? Invite me to your house. That's Zebulun and Naphtali. But this is what we also need to know. The darkest places in Israel were also known by other names. They were known by, by Upper and Lower Galilee. They said, well, why does that even matter? Why are you talking about geography? Because the, the place where Jesus spent the majority of his ministry, in Galilee. The places in Israel that were the most dark were the places that received the first light. Did you get what's going on here? The places that were darkest in the community of faith were the places where God showed or shined his light the first. And this is the unexpected good news of Jesus Christ. It's not that you and I clean up our lives so that when we're good enough, God will then accept us. It's when you were at your darkest and worst, God demonstrated his love that while we were sinning, Jesus died. The darkest places in your life, the places where you say, don't go there. That's, we'll deal with that at judgment day. That's the place where God says, I'm going to shine my light there first. So may we never dare to look at someone and say, man, God can't help you. May we never dare look at our lives and say, you know, that's, that's beyond God's control. Because God's word proclaims to us that the darkest places in our life are the ones that need the most light. And the darkest places in our life are often the ones that receive the first light. What a glorious, unexpected light this is. So let me just ask you right now, what areas in your life, and don't verbalize this, we're not going to have open mic day, but what areas really in your life need light right now? I mean, if, I, if, I, if I gave you a connect card and said, hey, write the top three things you want me to pray for, and then write the top three things you don't want anyone to know about you, don't do that. But those three things that you don't want anyone to know that God knows already, what places in your life does God need to, to illuminate right now? Because until we open up our hearts to him, the dark recesses, we will never grow in our faith. Until we tear down this religious facade, we will never grow in our faith. And Naphtali and Zebulon are calling us to say, God will give you light if you'll just let him illuminate you. Oh, praise God for the unexpected light. Verse 2, this walking in darkness. The people walking in darkness means they were living out their lives. So the people of God must decide by what experiences they live. They're walking in darkness. But Isaiah gives them an option. By what experiences are you going to live? Are you going to look at your hopelessness? Are you going to look at your darkness? Are you going to look at your shattered dreams and conclude that God has forgotten you? 
Are you going to hear the word cancer? Are you going to hear the word Alzheimer's? And are you going to say, God, I can only see the darkness. You're not here. Or are you going to say, God, all I can see is darkness. But I know that you're light. God, I need that light. This is the unexpected light of the good news. And Isaiah continues. He said, the people who have been walking in darkness, a great light has dawned. Verse 3. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased its, its joy. It's okay to say that word in church. I know sometimes we don't act like we're joyful, but, but we should be. That the Lord has increased his joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing its spoils. People of God, we should be rejoicing people. This is the unexpected joy of the gospel. What a beautiful picture of the Lord's grace on his covenant people. It might surprise you, but God through his son, Jesus Christ, does not decrease your joy. I know it's surprising to certain religious people. It looks like God has stolen your joy away. That's not true. And God does not maintain your joy. God, through his son, Jesus, and through his spirit in your life, does what? He increases his joy in you. So your face should reflect your heart. We should be joyful people. We should be unexpectedly joyful. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, when your heart is full of joy, it always allows its joy to escape. It is like the fountain in the marketplace. Whenever it runs full, it runs away in the streams. And so soon as it ceases to overflow, you might be quite sure that it has ceased to be full. The only full heart is the overflowing heart. Is your heart overflowing with unexpected joy right now? Some of you are like, mm-mm. I am joyful, Pastor. Really? Have you? I'm not going to say that. No, we'll, we'll move on. That's called discernment. I'm where I'm, Lord, sanctify me in, in your midst. We should be joyful people. And I'm speaking to myself. When I look in the mirror, do I see a face? that has been with the Savior. So I see a person who has joy in his heart because God has answered the most central questions of my life. Think about what Scripture says about the joy of the Lord. Zechariah 2, 10. Yeah, I just believe that the Scriptures warn us. Surgeon General's warning, right? The Scriptures warn us that joy is a side effect of following Jesus. If you don't want to be joyful, don't follow Christ. Because joy is a side effect. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Zechariah 2, daughter of Zion, shout for joy. Just say clap for joy, whisper for joy. Shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Now this reminds me, this is another aside, um, but someone in our church has gone to, to the back of the church in this field and marked out the tabernacle. The exact dimensions of this tabernacle. So if you go, this would be, it's that way, right? So the, 
The blue facing the, the wooded area is the eastern side. That would be the gate that you enter in. So if you have time after service today, walk out to that field and see the tabernacle, God dwelling among his people. It's a neat experience. Matthew 2, when the wise men see the star, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Baptist people, did you hear what the wise men said? They were overwhelmed with Joy, and it's not just the wise men, but even the shepherds in Luke. Then the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's us. Joy is a side effect of following Jesus Christ. This is the unexpected joy. And when was the last time someone looked at your life and thought... Wow, what joy they have. Wow. Man, their, their world's falling apart, but there's something in there. There's something in their life that's joyful, and it doesn't make sense. Israel's going to be destroyed by Assyria. How can they be joyful? Because we know that our God reigns. This is the unexpected joy. And some of you today need to be affected again by the joy of Jesus Christ. This is the unexpected kingdom. Not only is there light, not only is there joy. Verse 4, Isaiah says, now remember, this news is following the vision of chapter 8, right? Looting will come quickly and pillaging is hastening. But Isaiah says, wait, don't. Don't be terribly discouraged because look at verse 4. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. See, Isaiah turns their attention back to two historical passages. Two significant events in the life of Israel. So the first thing that Isaiah's pointed our attention back to is Egypt. Now listen to the words that are said. Oppressive yoke, rod on their shoulders, staff of the oppressor. All of those words are pointing back to this horrible time of bondage in Egypt. Why would God want his people to remember such a difficult time? Because he wants them to look back and say, if I delivered you then... I'll deliver you now. Right? Josh, just look back. Look back to the most difficult day in your history. Remember that moment and remember how faithful God was. And if he can deliver you then, he will still be with you today. And not only does he say, remember the curse, remember the bondage, remember the oppression, remember church, the addictions, remember the sins, remember the habits, remember the hangups. Church, remember the overwhelming burden that your sin has created for you. When you remember that, remember this. Isaiah says this about Jesus. He shatters that yoke. Did you hear what Jesus does? Is, is anyone awake other than me, right? He, he, he shatters it. He, he doesn't 
He doesn't tear it. He, God doesn't push it out of the way. The power of our God shatters our sin, shatters our addiction, shatters our struggles. This is the unexpected gospel. That it shatters and gives us unexpected peace. I don't know about you. I don't want a God that puts a bandage on, bandage on my life. I want a God that shatters the difficulty and brings me complete peace. This is the Prince of peace. And not only that, not only, maybe you're thinking right now, look, well, Pastor, I need that there's this in my life and it needs to be broken. Jesus can do that. But maybe you're simply overwhelmed. And so for that, for if you're overwhelmed in your life and you think there's not a way out, for that, Isaiah asks you to think about another historical event. And that's Midian in verse 4. He says, Remember, as you did on the day of Midian. You say, well, who is Midian? Those are the Midianites in Judges chapter 6 through 8. The Midianites were oppressing God's people. They numbered easily 120,000 because 120,000 died. So let's say 150,000. And God raised up a judge named Gideon with about 32,000 people strong. And God looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, you're going to attack the Midianites. But Gideon, here's a problem. You have too many people. So tell the people that don't want to follow you, just go home. And so they did. And then God looked at Gideon and said, Gideon, there's another problem. You have too many people. And so you take them down to the river and figure out, who's, figure out they're going to lap like a dog. They're going to slurp or they're going to use their hands. And then we're going to divide. And at the end of the day, only 300 people remained. Against 120,000. And by faith, they went to battle. And by faith, that very night, the scriptures say 120,000 Midianites were slain. 300 men could not have done that by themselves if they were sleeping. It's by the power of God. So why would Isaiah remind us of this? Because when we are, we, when we are weak, he is Strong. So Isaiah is asking you, church, to think about a place in your life or a time in your life where you say, God, this will not happen with human hands. God, this is impossible with me. And God says, You're right. Think about Midian. Think about Gideon. Think about Egypt. Think about places in your life that only God can do what He needs to do. Now give that over to the Lord today. What places in your life where you're struggling, you say, God, only you can accomplish that. And it's at that moment God's going to say, Josh, I thought you would never ask. Now by faith, trust me. This is the prince of peace. This is the unexpected peace. So great is the peace of God in our life that one day every trampling boot of battle will be destroyed. Think about that. Since we only have historical records roughly since 1400 AD, but since 1400 AD, 3,000 wars have been fought, give or take. And estimates say that 200 million to 1 billion people have died in war since 1400 AD. And you know what God says about those wars? Look at verse 5. 
Look at the peace of God. Look at the peace of Jesus Christ. One day, every trampling boot of battle will be burned. This is the peace of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can do this. This is unexpected, and this is the unexpected gospel that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. Oh, we need this peace. Wow, what peace we have in Jesus Christ. When you see a war on TV today, may you long again for the peace that Jesus will bring. When you see images that sear into your memory of little boys and girls who have been devastated, who are orphaned because of battle, pray, God, come quick, because I know when you come, the Prince of Peace will end all of this. And when you feel like your heart is warring with God, pray and say, God, send your spirit upon me because I need this battle to cease. I need Jesus in my life. I'm tired of this holy rebellion. I need the boots of my battle to be burned in the fire. This is the unexpected peace of God. This is the hope that Isaiah points us to, but it doesn't end there. Look at verse 6. He says, now this is how it's going to happen. God's going to raise up Caesar. God's going to raise up a president. God's going to raise up a military general that the world has never seen before. Now Isaiah says, listen to me, church. You're not going to believe it. But look at verse 6. You ready for this? There's going to be unexpected peace. There's going to be unexpected light. There's going to be unexpected joy, and it's all going to happen because of verse 6. For unto us a... Really? Can you, can you not hear Isaiah saying to God, God, I can't deliver this message. They'll never believe me. God, I'm, I'm in with the light thing. God, I'm in... With this joy thing. God, I'm ready for battles to be over. God, I, you're going to raise up someone. Let's go to war. And God says, I'm going to send you a, a child. Why would God send us a child? The most vulnerable creature that the world has ever known. I mean, even baby deer try to walk when they're born. Our kids have to wait months. Think, think about baby humans. They are the most vulnerable creatures the world knows. They are fully dependent. Why would God send such an unexpected Savior? Because he wants us to know several truths in this. One, the virgin birth demonstrates that there is no contradiction in the idea that God can take on human nature. God sent his son to take on human form to walk in our shoes so that we would know that there is a path back to God. God wants you to know that he understands how you feel. He understands your humanity. He understands your flesh. That's why Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way. Because he's fully human. He came as a child and he grew up 
as a youth and he grew up as an adult, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. God sent his son as a child that one day you and I might approach his throne with boldness. What an unexpected savior Jesus Christ is. But what a glorious savior Jesus is. Not only did God send his son so that he would know how we feel and that he would demonstrate that. But God demonstrates through his humanity that he is knowable. There's something about a child that, that makes you, that tears down walls and tears down barriers. There's something about a little baby that, that brings joy to your heart. I've seen families that were fighting that when that child was brought forth into the world, that it restored whole families. There's something about the vulnerability of a child that brings us near. And God sent his son, Jesus, as a child to let you know that you can approach him boldly. I was walking with Andy today, and we were walking in the tabernacle that's set up behind us. And we were walking, and he was, we were talking about the tabernacle. And we were walking, and we got to the Holy of Holies. And I looked at him and said, I don't want to go in. You first. But then my next comment was, but because of Jesus Christ, we can. We can, we can go into his presence. And the child reminds us that God wants us to know him. He is an unexpected savior because he wants you to draw near to him. He wants you to know he is a personal God. Yes, he is high and lifted up. But he is not so high and he's not so lifted up that you cannot know him personally and intimately. This is the purpose of the virgin birth. This is the purpose of God taking on flesh. He took on flesh and lived a sinless life that we might find our way back to God. This is the unexpected Savior. And lastly, we see in Christ this unexpected God. Let's look quickly at the names of Jesus here. For he will be named Wonderful Counselor. This word means wonderful or marvelous or amazing, extraordinary. And it could mean hard to understand. Why would, why would the Bible describe this child as being wonderful? Because I believe it's in this Messiah that we regain our sense of wonder. I think some of us have lost our sense of wonder. We, we have grown mundane and we've grown bored with Christianity. We've grown bored with our salvation. And it's Jesus that restores that in our life. Christianity, following Christ, is anything but boring. We should be the most awe-filled people in the world because of this child. See, Jesus is the answer to spiritual boredom. Jesus is the one that calls us to declare our satisfaction. And I just ask that you would pray right now, God, may I never lose my sense of wonder at my sin and at your salvation. And Lord, let me constantly find thanksgiving in your mercy. This is the wonderful counselor that we worship. But there's more. Not only is he wonderful counselor, but he is what? He is wonderful counselor. He is what God? He is mighty God. He is not some 
God designated with weakness, but he is the God of strength. This word is used for a mighty warrior. You see, the Christian life, the Messiah life, when you identify with Jesus Christ, you are identifying with his strength. Because our Messiah is not a weak Savior. Yes, he died, but he died because he willingly gave up his life. Yes, he was buried, but he rose again. And so in Christ, we do not live lives of weakness. He defeated the greatest enemies the world has ever known. Our sin, death, he was raised to life, and now he sits at the mighty right hand of the Father. So let me ask, if we worship a mighty God, why do we live as if we are powerless? against our cravings? Why do we live as if we are powerless against sin? Why do we live as if we are powerless against our addictions or our relationships or our enemies? Why do we watch the news and we say, God, the world's falling apart? As if we are weak and God is saying, Josh, don't you understand one of my names? It's one of the names because I'm so much more than this. But one of my names is Mighty God. Don't you forget it. We serve a God with strength. And because of the Holy Holy Spirit, we serve in his strength. Church, live in the unexpected strength of the Messiah. Not only is he our wonderful counselor. Not only is he our mighty God, but he is also what? He is our eternal or everlasting father. Now, why would Isaiah remind us that he is our everlasting father? Because father is a paternal or familiar, familial term. It's a reminder that God is personal, that he is loving, that he cares for you. He's not some abstract concept. He's not made of stone, He's a father because he has sons and daughters. He's a father because he adopts us in righteousness. He's a father because he loves us like a father would love us. And for those of you who don't have a father in your life or maybe have had a difficult concept of father, I want you to know that Jesus is a perfect father. He's not like this earthly father who is sinful. He's the one who loves you unconditionally. He's the one who welcomes the prodigal home. This is the everlasting father. And he is eternal father because nothing can break the bonds of his fatherly love for us. Nothing. In Christ, not even my rebellion or backsliding, because the Holy Spirit is going to bring to my remembrance conviction and I can repent of that and he will be faithful and just to forgive me. Church, remember there is no one greater than your eternal dad. There's no one greater than your eternal dad. So what? There's all this unexpected glory of the kingdom, right? There's unexpected light and there's unexpected joy and there's unexpected peace and there's unexpected savior and there's unexpected Love of a father, and there's this unexpected prosperity, and this unexpected wonder that he gives us, and there's this unexpected strength. So, what do we do about it? I want to close with this quote 
from C.S. Lewis. I share this on Wednesday night. But Lewis has such a way of capturing our imaginations, capturing our wonder. Listen to what he says about Jesus. Written during world wars. Written in a time that would mimic Isaiah's time. And Lewis says this about Jesus. Among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who is talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. This Jesus says that he has always existed. And he says that he is coming to judge the world at the end of time. Now let us get this clear. Among pantheists, among the Indians, anyone might say that he was part of God or one with God. And there would be nothing very odd about it at all. But this man, Jesus, since he was a Jew, could not mean that kind of God. God, in their language, meant that being outside the world, who had made it and was infinitely, infinitely different than anything else. And when you have grasped that, when you have grasped what Isaiah is saying, you will see that Jesus simply is the most shocking and unexpected thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. But what Jesus was saying, who he said he was, was, the, un- was the, un- the most unexpected thing the world has ever heard. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. Lewis continues, a man who is merely a man and said these sort of things, Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he was a poached egg or the devil of hell. So you must make a choice. And so listen to this. Either Jesus was and is the son of God or he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and you can worship him as Lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that us let open to us, and he did not intend to. If what Isaiah says is true, this is the most unexpected good news the world has ever heard. And if you're here right now and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, we invite you to do that today. You can pray a prayer like this. It's not the words that saves you, it's Jesus that saves you. But it's prayed a prayer of faith with a humble heart. You just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there is darkness within me. But I know Jesus died for that. And today I believe. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you will give me unexpected light and unexpected peace and unexpected joy. I believe that you are my wonderful counselor. I believe that you are my mighty God. I believe that you are my everlasting father. And I believe I want to follow you. The power of the gospel is that if you, with a humble heart and a heart of authenticity, pray that, your heavenly father will hear and he will save you. And we want to celebrate that with you today. Maybe you're here and, and, and you don't see much light. 